Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's casting its eye beyond the current crisis. And today we're going to try and see the wood for the trees in the world of forestry, where prices are up and new buyers are coming to the sector. We've got polluters, we've got investors and those that are more philanthropic in their outlook and might consider sort of rewilding, going back to, to nature. But if you want to play in this market, you need to be ready for the long game. So how confident can we be that things will stay this way? We're forecast to have another two to three billion people on the planet in the next 30 years. And a lot of those people will be born into countries which have a high dependency on timber as a primary commodity for construction, for heating, cooking, for all sorts of things. I'm Guy Ruddle and joining me on the line are James Adamson. He's head of UK forestry at Savills. He's based in Perth, has a team of 14 and has been advising clients on forestry and land management for the best part of 20 years. James, hello. How are you? Good afternoon, Guy. I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. And Evelyn Channing is Head of Farms and Estates in Scotland for Savile. She was brought up on a farm in Fife and now deals with clients from all over the world. Evelyn, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Thank you. So, uh, James, let's start with you and, and get a sense of the market. Yeah, We talked a year ago, the last time there was a, a spotlight of forestry report out. Things were looking pretty good then. How are they looking now? Uh, well, not a lot has changed, actually. The market size has gone down slightly, but prices have held quite steady in terms of the total amount of forestry traded over the year, which meant average values have shown another year-on-year rise, which is a trend we've been seeing now um, probably for the thick end of 20 years. And other big regional variations between different parts of the country or the different parts of the UK? There's always regional variations because when we're valuing forests, the productive potential of the forest is a key driver of value that tends to be linked to the quality of forest therefore how much timber it's growing and the location to timber market so where you have a good uh, growing region like south scotland which also has a large amount of highly competitive timber markets then obviously timber prices and therefore capital values tend to be higher what we observed in, in in last year's research was that the fastest growth uh, regionally was in the north of Scotland, so probably north of Perth, um, which was interesting. It's the first time we've really seen that, and that probably reflects an improvement of prices in this part of the country uh, and probably also a flight of capital to more peripheral regions where some investors will see some value for money. And as the coronavirus crisis had much impact on, on, on your world? I mean, it's such a long-term game. I, I, I imagine it, it, it hasn't really sort of had a great impact. Well, it's had some operational impact. Um, I mean, th- there's no doubt that um, timber markets have gummed up a little bit, especially as the building trade has closed down. But in terms of the actual capital market, so far we, we've not seen any great change the property cycle is very slow in forestry by the time a property comes to the market gets marketed gets sold it could be four to six or even more months so we're still only six six eight weeks in so we're unlikely to see um, a huge change by this time however there's still plenty of interest we're registering uh, new buyers all the time and uh, i think as has been the case in many financial crises crises over the last few years whenever there's a um, 
a shock to the normal investment system, forestry and land tend to do quite well because they're, they're considered to be quite uncorrelated to other sectors. And Evelyn, from your point of view, you know, you're talking to clients all the time, looking for forestry and estates. Are you seeing new types of buyers coming into the market or are they all the, 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 you know, the, 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 same, old, the same old people you're used to? No, um, we are talking to a very new type of buyer, um, somebody who is um, focused on this natural capital piece, um, what environmental benefits they might be able to get from an estate, um, looking for solutions to climate change, um, looking at carbon targets, etc. So we've got polluters, we've got investors, and those that are more philanthropic in their outlook and might consider sort of rewilding, going back to, to nature. Yeah, so this is a new thing, you know, in your mind, the new dynamic in, in the whole market, the whole, you know, sustainability, carbon offsetting and all that sort of thing. It, 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 it must change everything for you, really. Well, it's very helpful because it's clearly increased our pool of buyers. Um, the old traditional buyer um, is still there. And actually, as a result of COVID, I think potentially we may have more potential buyers, people looking to Scotland's open spaces um, as, a, as a place to be. Um, so from my point of view, I don't think the estate market in Scotland has ever looked so interesting. Really? That's fascinating. And what do you mean by polluters? So somebody who um, is um, needing to offset their carbon that they may be producing elsewhere, can't do it, whatever their factory or their production or um, burning oil or whatever it might be um, and obviously they'll try to mitigate what they can but eventually they can't um, uh, get rid of everything so they might look towards what could be um, offset against tree planting up here. James, uh, Evelyn has, has sort of given us a sense of the excitement about the whole climate change thing and the impact it can have on on your sector. Do, do you see that all the time? Do you think it's fundamentally changing the dynamics of your market? I think it has the potential to change the dynamics of the market, but it hasn't yet changed it. What we're seeing at the moment is is people investing in forestry who wouldn't ordinarily have looked at that asset class two years ago, and they're not following the traditional drivers of forestry investment, which are either uh, tax shelter, you know, tax planning, or to generate income from timber sales. They're actually looking at a slightly more holistic, environmental, or green, soft investment, whatever you want to call it. And, and actually, they're not, you know, they're, they're not traditional financially driven investors. So what Ev called the polluters are, are, are people who have a business or a business stream that requires some degree of assistance to, um, to, to to make that whole business stream more environmentally friendly and getting into forestry, especially planting new forestry is one particular avenue for that. And you, you look at what we're supposed to be doing, uh, you know, the government's target, 30,000 new hectares a year of planting by 2025. I mean, it sounds like an awful... Is it doable? Uh, it's been done before. We have. We must remember that. In the 1980s, um, we averaged about 30,000 hectares of planting a year when it was purely driven by income tax mitigation. So when there was a, a reason that everybody got on board with, they were able to do it. The difficulty we have now is 
um, there may be a reason that everybody wants to get on board with, but the regulation on land use and preserving habitats and just the general complexity of bringing land out of one land use and into woodland or forestry is much more difficult than it was in the 1980s. So whilst we may well enter a period where the desire is as high, if not higher than it was back then, the practicalities of achieving that are much more difficult now. So as an aspiration, I think, yes, there will be the drive to do it. Can we actually deliver it as a, as a nation, I think, is much more difficult. And is there a difference between planting for, you know, harvestable forestry, if, that, if that's the term you use, you know, for, for, to, you know, to create timber, and planting for climate renewal and the like? I mean, can you do both at the same time, kill two birds with one stone? I think actually it's very important that you do do both because actually if you just purely plant trees for climate mitigation, you you run the risk of planting economically unsustainable woodland and forestry. And we history will show us that enduring uses are economic uses. So it is fundamentally important that this whole process is underpinned at least to a high degree by the production of sustainable timber. And if you look at the government targets for planting it's very much ingrained in that target that 60% of the planting should be specifically targeting timber productive species. So um, generally soft, fast growing softwoods or, or some of the faster growing hardwoods. The idea being that as they grow up, they sequester carbon and they provide biodiversity gain quite rapidly. When you cut them down, you then use that timber in a sustainable way so if it's in construction or furniture making or something like that you're locking that carbon up for the lifespan of that product whether it's a house or a table or a wardrobe and then at the end of that process you can recycle the wood into biomass so you you have carbon sequestration followed by followed by carbon capture effectively in the next product and then you replant and you start the whole system again so actually commercial forestry has a very strong role to play in this whole argument. And Ev, do you get the sense that the new buyers coming into this market, the, the people that you're dealing with a bit, uh, do they understand all that? I mean, that's, you know, it's great what, what James is talking about, but it's quite a complex sort of economic thought process and everything. Do these new buyers really get it or are they just sort of following a trend? No, I think they um, get it. There's definitely, it's the, it's the buzz word, um, but I think everybody is on a bit of a, a learning curve. And, you know, there are super publications like the Savold Rural Research uh, Guide on Natural Capital, which um, is ideal for um, anyone thinking about coming into this, this market. But I think, you know, we're all in a bit of a, a learning curve, but um, the fundamentals are there and it's all around us. It's not just uh, in land management everyone's looking at the sustainability, whether it's in your domestic household in the middle of Edinburgh or at the top of a mountain. Is there a danger that you end up with some sort of carbon bubble, like a South Sea bubble, and that everyone gets very excited for a few years and prices go up, land gets sold for huge amounts of money, which is probably not really worth, and actually everything calms down and people find other ways of, of capturing carbon or whatever? Yeah, that's absolutely possible. Um, that's the one sort of missing piece of the jigsaw at the moment is actually the, the monetary bit, um, how much potentially might uh, carbon credits be worth. 
Yeah, James, it, it's, uh, it is true, isn't it, that that's a, a classic area where we, we just need the, 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 that whole marketplace needs to be better sort of regulated and controlled and, and, and coordinated. I mean, first of all, I think there is a real danger that the word carbon just becomes synonymous with everybody's policy on countryside. And, and actually, whilst, you know, capturing carbon is, is, is by no means a bad thing, it cannot be the primary uh, benchmark for, for all land management going forward. Uh, we don't have uh, anything like a mature market for carbon trading yet. It's highly likely that it could develop. Uh, but how that will actually play out, um, a lot of people are devoting a lot of time to trying to understand, but we're not quite there yet. It's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. I don't see that it will ultimately produce a bubble because forestry is not going to be the only way carbon is measured or captured or sequestered. Um, habitat restoration, peatland restoration, soil carbon, there are a number of other things that will come into play and um, whether tree planting will become one part of a wider campaign to improve the carbon stores on land generally. How happy are you about the, the future, both of you, in, in terms of you know, what's, what's going on in your market and what, you know, the demand for timber and, and the like? Well, I think the demand for timber... Uh, you have to look at a global level. I mean, ultimately, it's a commodity that is used in every country in the world. Most countries in the world, if not all countries in the world, are rising in terms of population. Um, we're forecast to have another two to three billion people on the planet in the next 30 years. And a lot of those people will be born into countries which have a high dependency on timber as a primary commodity for construction, for heating, for um, you know, cooking for all sorts of things. And if that's the case, then you know, the, the future for forestry, forestry investing, planting new woodlands is actually very rosy for quite a long time into the future. It's worth pointing out that Scotland can offer scale, um, which perhaps we can't do anywhere else in the UK um, to make these projects viable. Ultimately. It's about making sure you plant appropriately in the right place as part of a balanced system. And one of the problems forestry has suffered from in the past, it was considered a very monoculturist land use. It was it was trees or bust type mentality. But actually, forestry investors have become a lot more savvy to that recently. And uh, as evidenced by some of the sales and purchases that Ev's been involved in, they're taking a much more balanced approach. Forestry will be one part of a balanced land use. Farming will be one part of a balanced land use. Habitat restoration will be one part of a balanced land use, rather than it all being trees or it all being farmed. Let's deal with the Savile Standout statistic, because even though we're, we're not recording in the studio and we're all in remote locations, that's no excuse for not having a Savile Standout stat. So uh, who wants to go first with theirs? Evelyn, why don't you go first with your Savile Standout statistic? At the end of March, this is pre-COVID, um, we had 137 active buyers registered to buy an estate in Scotland with a combined total of £1.1 to invest. 25% um, of those buyers are international. And last year, 
45% of all our viewers to the states that we were marketing um, were international. And of those, 42% um, came from the US, which is the highest proportion um, that I've experienced in my 30-year career at Savills. It's just that there's nothing that isn't an international market these days. That's, that's great stuff. James, what about you? What's your Savills standout stat this time around? Uh, this time around, um, I, I had a look back to when I thought Forestry Values last, Capital Values last dropped, and I thought that that was at the end of the 1990s, and the low point, as far as my records go, was 2002. So if you take the average values, um, according to our research, from 2002 to 2020, the total rise in those average values has been 745%, which is a pretty impressive wow. figure. It sure is. That's amazing. Thank you both very much for that. Uh, what a fascinating topic. Uh, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If all we've done is whetted your appetite for more information and knowledge, you'll find the Spotlight on Forestry report on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. Plenty of other stuff there as well, including, as Evelyn was pointing out, the fascinating stuff about the whole carbon capture market and things like that if you aren't already a subscriber to real estate insights then please feel free to become one using your usual podcast provider in the meantime thank you for listening and see you next time this podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.